All right. Hey, good morning, Three Circle. Great to be with you guys today. All of our campuses are joining us and online. We are going to bring to a close today the uh, Apostles' Creed series. If you're new with us or guests with us today, we've been in a series where we're walking through the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed's been around as long as the church has, really, but uh, we're not saying that the Creed is holy or inspired. We only use those words for the Bible, but what the Creed is based on is the Bible, and it makes this summary of our our faith very, very important. Great theologians throughout the history of the church have held to uh, the Apostles' Creed as a bit of a core, if you will, as a summary of what we believe as Christians. And what we've been doing is walking through it. And we spent the first portion of the series looking at the fact that we believe in God. And we believe in the God of the Bible who reveals himself to us as a triune God, the Father, the Son, and last week, the Holy Spirit. Well, today we're going to look at the last piece of the creed as our closing session, and we're going to look at some things about us now. The first part was all about God. Now we're going to see who are we as his people. What does the Bible teach us about who we are as this group of people who believe in him? So let's look at the creed, and we're going to pick up kind of where we were last week and then read the rest of the Apostles' Creed. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We spent two weeks looking at that statement. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to look at this section today. We believe in one holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now we're going to look at that last section today because today we're going to look at the church. What does it mean for us to be the church? And let me make real clear, I'm a huge fan of the church. And you're like, I bet you are. It's your job. Okay, I get it. I get it. But I really am and have been since I was a kid fell in love with the church as a kid. The church changed my family's life, my family's trajectory, um, because of the power of a dynamic local church. And I came up in a church where we had great children's ministry and great student ministry, and people loved Jesus, and people wanted young people to use their gifts for Jesus. And it was just a great dynamic environment. So I fell in love early with this thing called the church. It's my honor to serve the church with my life in many ways. And I have watched the power of the church. But let me just say this. Today, I'm going to be honest with you. I needed the church in particular because it's just been a heavy week. I don't know how your week has been. Dark, heavy week. We Just one of those weeks in ministry where uh, one of our elders found out that his sister, just way too young, has been diagnosed with a, a brain tumor. It's not looking good at all. And he's trying to lead his whole family through the dynamics of what that's going to be. And then another one of our church members, you know, fighting COVID, turned into another big thing. And, and as a very young man uh, passed away last night as we've been watching and walking that family through that. And so we're going to be doing a funeral this week right here at Three Circle Church. And it's hard. It's tough stuff. So this morning I get to church, and I'm going to be honest, I kind of limped in today. You know, just been one of those weeks. And I stood in the back of the room, and I was reminded of the power of the church. At our 8 o'clock gathering here, as people were coming out, I was just kind of standing in the back. As worship started, I watched. This is just in my few minutes in the back. I watched a woman who clearly had been going through chemo treatment. She comes in, and you can tell she is struggling, and she gets on the back row to kind of get away from people. And then when the music started, I just watched both of her hands lift up in the air. And with tears streaming down her face, she's just worshiping Jesus. And I was just reminded of the power. 
power of the church. And then I watched these two other ladies come in who I preached both of their husbands' funerals. So two different widows come in at 8 o'clock, and I watch these, and I know their stories, and I know how hard it is. And they come in, music starts, and I'm watching them worship Jesus. And then this older couple came in. This older couple walks by me, and they're like, they're, they're older, okay? Like, they're, they're, they, they're old, all right? I'm being honest with you. And they are romance all the way. It's like touchy, touchy. And they walked by, and he was whispering to her. And I just stepped up, and I was like, hey, man, you guys are inspirational. And he goes, I love this lady. And she just, you know what I mean? (laughs) This is all happening in the church, man. It was incredible. And I thought, this is it. This is the beauty and the power. And all of these different stories, hard, dark, beautiful They're beautiful because we're coming together under this thing called the church. We're different. We come from different backgrounds. We're struggling with different things. You look around this room, there's not a perfect person here, and and the least of all, the guy up here preaching to you. And yet, here we are under the name and banner of the perfect one, and we call this the church. Isn't this beautiful? Like, we need this. So, as we kick off looking at the church, let me be honest with you. With technology, okay, with technology the way it is, you could jump online and find 10 guys that are better communicators and preachers than me, just like that. So if you wanted to go find your favorite guy out there, you just listen to them every week. So there's got to be more than just listening to good teaching. And, and as great as our music is, I mean, Spotify, you can listen to anything you want to listen to. You can go find any worship music. For some, some of you are like, I don't like the music at Three Circle, it's too loud. Well, you, you can find anything you want on Spotify. So, so why would we be here? And then some of you are like, ooh, I do love the music here, but you could have it endlessly. So technology takes the uniqueness of those things away. So what is it? Why should we come together? The Bible says this thing we're doing is so sacred, you should not forsake it. That's what the Bible says. And you know why? Because I can't get just from a podcast or just from Spotify or just doing the functions that we do when we come to church, I can't get what I got in those 10 minutes this morning, breathing the same air, being around, being blessed by and impacted by other Christians, right? So this is sacred. We need this. So as we dive in, let's remember the beauty of the church. And now we go to where did it start? Where did the church start? Where did this idea, this thing we do, begin? Well, it begins with Jesus, of course. And in Matthew 16, 13 through 19, it's going to begin with an interaction he had with his disciples. And then, in particular, with one disciple. Let's go to Matthew 16. It says this, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets, and he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied with one of the most astounding statements in human history, you are the Christ, meaning you are the Messiah, the Bible promised, and you're the son of the living God. So he said, you're the, Christ, you're the fulfillment of all the promises of the Bible, and you are God himself in human flesh. Verse 17, and Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. In other words, you didn't come up with that on your own, buddy. But my Father who is in heaven, verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, watch this, and on this rock I will build my church. First idea we get of it in the Bible. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I love that verse. That verse gets me excited. We'll come back to it. Verse 19. 
I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Let's dive into these astounding verses. And the outline that I'm about to give you of four elements, so you can write this down, there are four elements that Jesus just taught us that the church would be built on. All right? Four different elements. And I find these in an incredible book that Dr. Albert Moeller wrote on the Apostles' Creed. We have referenced it at the bottom of this handout. If you want to go grab the book and you want to go further into the Apostles' Creed, then we were able to go through in our time. One of the resources I used in researching for this series was Dr. Moeller's book. And his outline, what he saw in Matthew 16, was so helpful to me that I thought, I'm going to use those four elements today. So this is not... Chris's idea, Dr. Moeller, who's a really smart guy's idea, and I hope that it's helpful to you. And the first element that Dr. Moeller saw in these verses that we'll look at today is that the church is built on a confession. So the first thing I want you to see is that our church, the church, is built on a confession. So notice Jesus looks at Peter, and he's not saying he's building the church on Peter. And there are some strains of Christianity that will grab onto that, and that's, that's just frankly not biblical. The church is not built on the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter was not our first leader and all those things. No, no. Jesus is saying, Peter, the words you just said, those words you just said about me, that was a confession. And on that confession, that truth is the foundation of the church. That's what it's going to be built on, a confession. And so when we look at that, I want you to understand, every, every building needs a good foundation, right? And so the church is not built on any other foundation but Jesus himself. The New Testament will tell us that Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. So the concrete that the church is built on is always going to be who Jesus is, the confession. And all Christians of all time are held together with that confession. If you're a real Christian, you're going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. He is who he said he was in the Bible. It comes back to that confession. Look, there's a lot of great churches, in our, even just right here in our area. We're not the only one. So what connects Three Circle with our friends at Mars Hill? What connects Three Circle with our friends at First Baptist, Celebration, City Hope, and Coastal, over at First Baptist, Robertsdale? What is connect our friends up at Highlands? What connects us? Because we do things differently. We have different nuances in the way we teach, the way we do things. But what makes us be able to go, go for it and cheer them on and pray for them and love these churches I just mentioned? Because we are bound by this confession. Jesus Christ is King and Lord. Amen, church? That is why. And all, by the way, not just geographically. We're not just connected to churches down the road that confess this. We're, we're connected to churches across the world. So when my wife and I got on a plane and went to Africa and we met our brothers and sisters over there, and they do church way different than we do. And we had church one morning in the middle of nowhere, Africa, and man, they started dancing, and I wanted to join in, and my wife's like, uh-uh. No, we're just going to let them do that. Says I am not a good dancer, but in my heart I am. In my heart of hearts, I am. And man, it was beautiful how they worshiped. It was awesome. And we just watched and just really wept as we watched the beauty and the wonder. But do you know what connected us, South Alabama Christians, with our brothers and sisters there in Kenya was this confession. They did it different than us, but they proclaimed the same truth. Jesus Christ is King and Lord. He's who he says he is, and that's who we worship. So the church is bound together with a confession 
a confession. To confess this faith is to hold it and defend it, by the way. We hold it. We believe it. That's why the creed over and over again says, we believe these things. We believe in who Jesus says he is. We believe in the triune God of the Bible. We hold that belief. But not only that, we defend it. We defend it not by being, by the way, uh, contentious, not by being arrogant, not by being mean-spirited, but we do have clarity and we're willing to stand in the public space and say, this is what we believe. We do believe these things. And sometimes that is hard, and sometimes that will even bring possible persecution. It certainly did for the early church. But we must be clear. The church is built on a confession. By the way, the church is not built on any other foundation. So if churches are built on a foundation of politics, that's not a good foundation for the church to be built on. The church does not derive its power or importance by its adherence to any political principle. The church is built on Jesus. By the way, the church is also not built on a foundation of social justice. Even though social justice is something we get involved in. And politics are things we get involved in. That, those things are not the foundation of the church. The church crumbles if it's built on anything else but Jesus. The truth of who Jesus is, is our confession. And we hold to it, and we defend it. Look at Romans 10, 9 to see just how important the confession of Jesus is. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead, you will be saved. By the way, two things happen as Christians. This is how you became a Christian. There's only one way to come into the family of God known as the church. Now, there's other ways to come into our buildings, which is why we will tell you that there is nothing. these buildings are only sacred because of what's happening in them. If you knock down this building this afternoon, it would not stop the forward march of this church at all because this church is not these buildings, right? We're thankful for them. Please don't knock them down. They're awesome. We use them for the glory of God. The church is not a building. The church is the people and all that God is doing. And the Bible says here there's only one way into the church, the body. A lot of different ways in the buildings, though, right? I mean, let's just think about this for a second. How many entrances are there to this church? Some of you came in what we call the north entrance, the south entrance, the west, the east. And I'm directionally challenged, so I get it all wrong all the time. I'll be pointing one direction, and someone's like, no, 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 you mean over there, right? I get turned around. But here's the deal. What I know is there's about 13 different ways into our buildings. But there's only one way into the body of Christ. And it's through Jesus. And by the way, if you're here today and you want to be a Christian and you want to be blood-bought into the body of Christ, there's only one way, and it's through Jesus. You can't be good enough. You can't be moral enough. If you're a social justice warrior, you're not going to be able to change the world enough. If you're a political person, you're not going to be able to be right enough to get into heaven and get into the family of God. There is one way into the kingdom, and it's through the confession of Jesus Christ, not just with your words, but belief in your heart. And that can happen today. By the way, you don't even have to wait until I'm done preaching. It can happen right now. You can believe upon Jesus as Lord and Savior. How many of you are grateful for that truth of who Jesus is? Amen? So, the first thing, it was built on a confession. Peter confesses. I believe this is who you are. And Jesus says, you're correct, and that's what I'm going to build the church on. On that truth about who I am. Element number two that Dr. Moeller points out is this. 
The church is built on truth. It's built on a confession, but not any confession, a true confession. We're built on truth. We like to say it like this at Three Circle. We are people who believe in Jesus, and our king has a book, and we believe that book. So let me tell you how logically this works. We confess, we're built on a confession, people who belong to the church. We confess Jesus is Lord. Well, if Jesus is Lord and king of our lives, then we must believe what he believes. He's the founder of our faith. So if we're going to call ourselves by his name, Christians, then we must believe what he believed. And do you know what Jesus believed? The Bible. Jesus affirmed the scriptures. Our founder said that he believed not just a little bit of this, not just portions of it. He said every jot and tittle. That means that every letter of the Bible, from beginning to end, he affirmed the Old Testament, so we can't detach ourselves from that. He affirmed the coming of the New Testament. He affirmed these things. He said heaven and earth pass away, but the Word of God will stand forever. Jesus said he didn't come to break the law, but to fulfill the law. So our founder, who we confess, also affirmed his belief in this book, which means we must believe this book. So we as a church, one thing we have in common, we all believe this book, the truth. You can write it down. The church is built on lasting and eternal truth. So that means that the things that bind us together as a church can't be temporal. That's why cultural things can't be what defines a church because culture changes. So one of my heroes is Charles Spurgeon. And Spurgeon preached in the 1800s. In particular, the 50s, 60s, and 70s would have been kind of his heyday as a preacher. Uh, in fact, something interesting, you may not know that Charles Spurgeon at the time was the most famous preacher in the world when the Civil War broke out. His sermons went all over the world in paper form. They had, burnt, they had fire burnings where they would burn Spurgeon's sermons. And you know one of the cities they did that in? Mobile, Alabama. And Charleston, South Carolina. And other places. Why? Because from his pulpit in London at the Metropolitan Tabernacle... The great Charles Spurgeon would thunder from his pulpit the sin and the stain on Christianity of American slavery. And so he was fighting a battle, and they got mad about it. And now, you know, every guy in the South who's a Christian says, ooh, we love Charles Spurgeon. I'm like, well, they didn't back then. Got mad at him. He was fighting a different battle, but we, we have different cultural battles. We fight as well. So what connects us to Spurgeon? Not cultural stuff. The fact that Spurgeon, like us, he is our brother in the faith because he confessed Jesus as Lord and he was preaching out the same Bible. Like literally, when I open the Bible today to preach to you about the church, it's the same words that Spurgeon was preaching in the 1860s. It's the same words that Augustine was pouring over. It's the same words that Martin Luther turned to that opened his eyes to the gospel. And it is the same confession that Peter said in front of those disciples in Caesarea Philippi that Jesus is Lord. Do you see how we're connected? There's this bad thing that happens in the American church, in particular churches like ours. We got the lights and the music, and there's this idea that we go, yeah, we don't do church like our grandma did. You will never hear me say that. You want to know why? Because if grandma didn't have church and do church, you wouldn't be having it right now. But we don't disconnect ourselves. You'll never hear Three Circle use that kind of language. We are connected to the past deeply entrenched in the orthodoxy and tradition. Yes, tradition. I just used the word tradition on a stage in a contemporary church. Why? Because we're connected. 
This isn't some new flash in the pan thing. We got two thousand years of men and women faithfully confessing Jesus as Lord, even in the public square, defending that truth and standing on the Word of God. That's a beautiful thing. So I love that when we step into church, we're stepping into a 2,000-year connection and tradition that we're a part of. When we send out one of our guys, Jack Divin, and his wife are going to Las Vegas to plant a church in January. When we send him out, this isn't some new thing. It's not like Jack's the first guy to ever plant a church in a hard city. We're connecting him to what the Apostle Paul was doing when he stepped into Ephesus and he stepped into Thessalonica and he stepped into Galatia where there was no church. And he put a church and all of a sudden God changes the whole city. We think God's going to use Jack, one of our guys, to do that in Las Vegas next year. Why? Because we're connected to 2,000 years of planting churches to the glory of God. See how that works. It's good, good news. We're getting there, man. It just takes a little while to get y'all warmed up. So element number two is we are built on truth. Look at 1 Timothy 3.15. Paul had a protege. So when you look at 1 and 2 Timothy, Timothy didn't write those books. Paul did. They were letters he wrote to his guy he was raising up, Timothy. And he said this. He says to Timothy, if I delay, which means he must have been coming. He was on his way. But it looks like he may not get there in time. He says, if I delay... You may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. So that's like never blow through Scripture fast. Paul just gave you a great description of the church. He says the church of the living God can be called the household of God. This is like his house. I love that, right? But look what he says at the end. He says, Timothy, first of all, you don't have to have me there. Why? Because we're people of the book. See, he just gives you a really important truth. How many of you think that if the Apostle Paul was around, you'd probably want to ask him all the spiritual questions, don't you think? That's what was happening. Timothy's a young guy. I bet any time at the church where he was, any time someone had something important, he'd go, let's just wait till Paul gets here. Right? So what should we do about this? You know, I bet Paul knows. We just wait till he gets here. And so everything was dependent on Paul. And Paul says to Timothy, hey, you don't have to have me there. Look what he says. You know how to behave in the household of God. Why? Because we have the scriptures. And not only that, he says, the church of the living God should be, look at this last sentence, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Look at that. Our, one of the things the church of the living God should be is a place where the world can find truth. We speak truth, even when it may cost us, even when it looks strange. We don't do it arrogantly. We don't do it in a way to put people down. We do it compassionately and with love, but we will stand in a world that seems to have a floating version of truth. We will say, here's what we believe because of what this book that our founder affirmed, we believe this. So that means we do believe certain things about sexuality, and in the kindest, and, but also in the clearest way we can, we'll say, this is what our book tells us about human sexuality. And here's what our book tells us about how to handle money. And here's what our book tells us about marriage. And here's what our book tells us about what humanity really is and what life really is all about. All of those things, for us as Christians, comes back to truth. We're a pillar. What does a pillar do? It holds things up. The church, we should all be holding up the truth. We shouldn't be hiding it. We shouldn't be being quiet about it. I don't want to rock the boat. No, no, we, we're very clear about what we believe, and we're a buttress, which means we're, we're making sure that we don't water it down. We protect it. We make sure that when we preach, we preach clearly. Let me tell you something you can count on in three circles, all the way down to our songs. 
So did you know that our worship teams here, led by a guy by the name of Pastor Zach Adamson, are theologically committed to you only singing true things? So they pour over songs to make sure when it comes out on stage that you're singing the truth. And there's really great songs that people are like, that's my favorite song that we don't do here because they don't tell the truth. How many of you are thankful to have a worship pastor that does that for all of our campuses, right? You're singing the truth. That's important to us. We are built on truth. And then the next thing we see is that the third element is power. Dr. Moeller rightly points out that, that what Jesus says here is that the church is built on a confession on truth and on power, unbelievable power. And let's go to that verse that I just love. Verse 18, this rock I'm going to build my church on it, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, folks. That is power. Power. You can write it down. Nothing can separate Christians from Jesus. There is no power that can do that. The power of hell cannot succeed against the church. And I'm going to be honest with you, this has been one of those weeks where I just thought, I don't know if we're winning. You know, I look at the culture sometimes, and I'll have those down days even as a preacher, where I'm like, I don't know, man. It's so dark. It's so tough. And then I'm reminded, looking at the history of the church. Listen, Nero, the Roman ruler Nero, who was using Christians alive and would light them up, burn them on sticks in his garden to just make lights along the street. That's how bad it was. And the church just kept exploding. Domitian, another one of those rulers, Feeding Christians to lions and animals. All of that stuff. It couldn't stop the church. I'm telling you that someone asked me the other day, they said, where do you think that our world's going to be 10, 20 years from now? And I was preparing for this, and I said, you know what? I don't know. I think it might be pretty crazy where it's headed. But I do know this. If Jesus has not returned, I'll tell you one thing that will be sure and certain in 10, 20, or 50 years the church will be alive and dynamic and well and still reaching people for Jesus because the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. Can't do it. The church isn't going anywhere. It never has. It never will. Jesus will uphold his church in power. Now, I love this because gates, think about it. I used to look at it wrong. As a kid, I'd read this verse and I thought, in my mind, I had this picture of this verse that the church had gates on it and that we were trying to keep hell out, okay? That's not actually what Jesus said. Jesus said, no, it's hell that has gates, and gates are not offensive. Gates are defensive. You put a gate up to keep people out, which means hell has gates, and what Jesus is saying is the church, the darkness is there. The church has the light, and the light is so powerful it's so powerful. The forward march of the church, one person at a time, one new church at a time, one family at a time, one baptism at a time, one campus at a time, one child brought out of poverty at a time, one family given hope at a time, one marriage that's won over and doesn't fall apart because of Jesus at a time, one thing at a time, Jesus says the church will keep marching forward and the gates of hell will not be able to stop the forward march of the church. Think about that for a second. Nothing can stop it. So that gives me great hope on a week where I'm like, this is dark and it's tough. And, and I'm reminded the church isn't going anywhere. The gates of hell cannot prevail. Romans 8, 38, for every Christian who's a part of this thing called the church, it says, 
I am sure that death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that so affirming to us? Isn't that so helpful? Isn't that so inspiring to know that this life is tough and dark? Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Even death itself. And then the fourth element that Dr. Moeller points out is that we are founded as a church in authority. Jesus gives the church authority. In verse 19, he says, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth, bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, loosed in heaven. Now, I grew up, I think, with this verse being misused in some ways. So there's a lot of ideas that, you know what, we, if you'll just bind it here, it'll be bound there. And we'd bind all kinds of stuff. We'd bind the devil himself. There was a southern gospel song that came out when I was a kid, and it was about these Christians had, this is a true story, it was number one, I think, and they had, you, they had locked Satan in a phone booth. That was it, the whole idea. We've locked him in a phone booth, not letting him out, you know, that kind of stuff. Just ridiculous foolishness, okay? So let's get to what did Jesus mean when he said this. So what he meant was this, and his audience understood it. The disciples understood it. Notice they don't ask him any questions about it. They got what he was saying. Because in that world, Israel was more of a theocracy. When Rome took them over, Rome became a dictatorship, but let the theocracy continue to work, which is why Jesus is arrested by the Israelites. They can't kill him, but they try him, and then they hand him over to Rome. You see all that, right? And in that theocracy, guess what? Based on Mosaic law, the priest and the guys in charge would officiate matters among people based on Mosaic law. So if there was a dispute, you'd bring it to them, and they would uh, uh, judge and rightfully show you what you needed to do based on Mosaic law, and they would call that binding and loosing. So they would say, you are free, you are not under any compulsion here, you are bound, you're going to have to pay him back, you're going to have to, you see how it works, right? That's what binding and loosing is. No one's putting the devil in a phone booth, y'all, or anything crazy like that. Binding and loosing is simply, watch this, correcting one another, making sure justice takes place and right things take place based on the Word of God. And Jesus says, I am giving that authority to the church. Meaning that when you're a part of the church, we should hold each other accountable according to the word. We should operate according to the word. And we have the authority in one another's lives to hold one another accountable based on the word of God. That's what that means. And that's a beautiful thing. We are compelled by the scriptures to correct one another if we step out of line based on the word of God. Lovingly, not judgingly but clearly according to the word. And that authority is given to the church. Write it down. Jesus granted authority to the church for one another. And then the creed says this. Not only are we the church, we are one holy church. And there's the communion of the saints. When you put all that together, you have three descriptions of the church. The church is one, the church is holy, and the church is universal. One means that wherever you find this confession and this authority and this truth, then you find the church. That means that the church can be in a coffee house in Robertsdale, which is what's happening right now with our new work in, in Robertsdale at Three Circle. It's amazing. Or just today, you just take our church today in a coffee house in Robertsdale, you, you could find the church. 
because of, not because of buildings or it looked just like this, because of the confession, because of the truth, and because of the authority. The church was in Robertsdale. The church was in a, if you've never been to our Thomasville campus, it's, it's like literally outside is a bunch of 18-wheelers and stacks and stacks like a mountain of timber where they treat timber. So out there is all these machines, and right here is this little office space where there's the church. And today, about 100 people worshiped Jesus, confessed Him as Christ and Lord. The Word was preached, and church, the church was there. Okay, In Midtown Mobile, a beautiful old Baptist church. It's our campus now there in Midtown Mobile. There was church. Right up here in what used to be Crossroads Baptist Church, right here in Daphne was our Daphne campus. I'm just talking about our church. Mars Hill today met here in Fairhope. It also met in Mobile, right? You have all these beautiful things happening all over the place. It's incredible to watch how the church works. When my wife and I went to Africa a few years ago, there was the church. Dancing in a different language, it was the church. Why? Because the church is one and universal. It's all over the world. And, and it doesn't just transcend geographies wherever you find this confession across time. This means go back to Spurgeon's church. It's just like ours because of the confession, because of the truth, because of the authority. We are connected in the universal one holy church. And the church is sacred because it is the church that belongs to Jesus. It's sacred. What we do is sacred. That's why, look, that's why I know people, and we've done it, where you, you get back all the way from a ball game on Saturday night. You go watch that football game, wherever it is, in Auburn or Alabama or Baton Rouge, wherever you may be watching football in the fall. And I watch people get done with the football game and drive through the night to get back to get to a church that they call their church. Why? They could have just listened to the preaching later. Because we think there's something sacred about this, don't we? We think this matters, don't we? This is sacred. And finally, we end today the Apostles' Creed by pointing out that the Creed says this, the church has a future, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. It's good news. We're going to have a funeral this week, and it's going to be a tough one. It's already a tough one. We're going to walk a family through absolute devastation. They didn't see it coming, but it came. But the man we will celebrate was a very dedicated Christian. I got to watch his spiritual journey over the years. And do you know what? We will hold to this truth as we celebrate that man's life. This truth will be what this family will cling to this week. That this truth in the creed is true for us. The church represents heaven in the present but we're going to enjoy heaven in our future. We represent it now for a world all around us through our confession, through the truth, through authority, through the power we walk in. But one day we're just going to enjoy heaven. Not just represent it, enjoy it. It will be our reality. That's what we believe. And it's why Paul wrote these words in 1 Corinthians 15. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Isn't that what the creed says, the resurrection of the body? Here's what it's based on. The resurrection of the dead, what is sown is perishable. So our bodies now are perishable, but what's going to be raised will be imperishable. It's sown now in dishonor. We all have things that we have done that we wish we would not have, but we'll be raised in glory. 
It is sown in weakness, but it's going to be raised in power. It's sown as a natural body, but it will be raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also going to be a spiritual body. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, that means that our human bodies will be glorified. When that happens. And the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying, and I will read these words this week. I will stand on this stage, and I will read these words to encourage a family who is devastated but believes what I'm about to say to you. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? See, church, listen, the church is a group of people who believe that when Jesus came out of that grave, his victory was our victory. And death, even death, has lost his sting. Even death has no power over us. The church. Sacred, holy, in power, in authority. This is the church. And I can't think of a better way for us to commemorate who we are in Christ and the closing of the Apostles' Creed series than for us to prepare for the Lord's Supper. Let's pray together before we do that. Jesus, thank you for this series that we've had. And now, as we commemorate you, remember and celebrate you, I pray that we would live what we've learned in this series and that you'll be glorified in us. And if there's anyone here today who, would, who is not a Christian but they want to be, that even now they would... They would confess you as Lord and believe that in their heart. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.